um, uh, preaching God's word, and uh, and that's true as well today. So I'm going to read scripture and then uh, invite uh, Sarah Lynn up and pray for her and listen for what she has to say to us. Uh, scripture readings, two of them this morning. Uh, first from Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, 29 through 31. I invite you to listen for God's word. You will seek the Lord your God from there, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your being. In your distress, when all these things happen to you in the future, you will return to the Lord your God, and you will obey his voice, because the Lord your God is compassionate God. He won't let you go. He won't destroy you. And he won't forget the covenant that he swore to your ancestors. And then from Hebrews, the 11th chapter, very first verse. Faith is the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what we don't see. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Sarah Lynn, if you want to come on up and we'll pray for you and... Second, me okay with the mic right there, you think? They'll let you adjust. We'll do what we did last week. Um, if y'all would just extend your hand as we pray uh, for, for Sarah Lynn and ask God to speak through her. God, we give you thanks for your word that you send forth and never returns to you empty. We pray that you would uh, pour out your spirit on, on Sarah Lynn, uh, that what she speaks might be your word for us this day. Open our hearts to be receptive to it. Uh, hold her words tenderly in the palm of your hand and in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. When you say you got to have faith, it's easy, right? Wrong. It's hard if you have a sick child. It's hard if you have a sick spouse. It's hard if you have a sick parent. A lost job, financial worries, a broken relationship that needs mending. Pastor Tyler read us what faith is. In my Bible, it says the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. When introducing, introducing um, a guidepost editor wrote, as we look forward to the wonderful things God has in store for us, it's a good idea every now and then to pause and look back at where we've been, at the ways God has led us through the years. For many of us, the path that we've traveled is the unfolding of who the Lord gave us in our childhood through the words and examples of our mothers and fathers. But I added other special people too because sometimes it's not just our parents. From the time I can remember, my parents had us in church every time the doors were open. If we didn't go to church, we didn't go anywhere else the rest of the day. My sister Sandra tells a story about my daddy before I was born. She said that he would drop them off for Sunday school, then he'd go check on his cows, and then he'd come back for church. Well, after one Sunday, a preacher preached on just that, that parents should set a better example for their children. And daddy said, he never missed another Sunday school after that, unless he was out of town. Second Timothy 16 through 17 says, Our, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training 
and righteousness so that everyone, everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. This is what we were taught. From the time I can remember, we would go to revivals. This would go on from Monday to Sunday, a full week of church, two services a day. Can you imagine that today? <laughs> we would go to school. We'd go, before school, we'd go have donuts and hot chocolate. And Coach Earl, my best friend's daddy, would drive all the way to Greenwood, Mississippi, 35 miles away every morning to go get fresh donuts at Shipley's Donuts. And my sister today says they're still better than Krispy Kreme. I don't know about that. But, and then my mother would drop us off full of sugar for the teachers. And you teachers, I'm sure y'all can appreciate that. Um, but this one time at Revival, um, I was singing to the top of my lungs. I love to sing. And we were singing, bringing in the sheaves. And this is our church. It's a little crooked. My sister Sanders is not a very good photographer. But... Um, Anyway, we were singing, bringing in the sheaves, and I was singing to the top of my lungs, bringing in the cheese, bringing in the cheese. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the cheese. And my friend Minna leaned over and said, Sarah Lynn, it's not cheese, it's sheaves. Well, we giggled until we got the evil eye from our parents and had to stop. But that was something funny that we can always remember. These lyrics were written in 1874 by Noel Shaw who was inspired by Psalms 126.6 that says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. While for me, back then, singing this song has a funny story, and I do believe God has a sense of humor, I can't help but believe in, after today, um, reading these words, that they have a larger meaning for me. Look at the two verses, Ben, if you'll put those on the screen. Um, sowing in the sunshine, sowing in the shadows, fearing neither clouds nor winter's chilly breeze. By and by the harvest and the labor ended, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, not cheese. Going forth with weeping, sowing for the master, Though the law sustained, our spirit often grieves. When our weeping's over, he will bid us welcome. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. You see, praising God, then song has been a part of my life for 60 years. So you can imagine when I found out 10 years ago that I had a paralyzed vocal cord, how devastating that was for me. I needed faith to get me through what was be ahead. I had a vocal cord implant, and it did help my speaking voice, but unfortunately it made my singing voice very unpredictable. So I ended up, and it was kind of painful during a lot of practice, so I had to quit the choir. Um, most people didn't realize it, but sitting in the congregation after years of singing um, with the choir was really difficult to listen to their special music. And, um, but in the midst of it, God found other areas where he could use me to serve. I just had to be willing to wait and have faith for further instructions from God on where that he wanted to use me. While preparing this sermon, I can't help but realize and think about 
all those songs so through the years that God gave me, and most of them were for, through scripture. They were scriptures to help me get through my life. Um, and if you ask my children, they say I make a song out of everything. But going back a little bit further in my path, I was born in 1959 to parents who were much older. My mother was 40, and back then, um, having a child at 40 was kind of difficult. I was a baby of six. I was born with a hole in my heart. While I was a very sick little girl for the first two years of my life, with my parents not knowing if I would make it, they never gave up. Their faith was strong. It was their relationship with Christ that would get them through these times. They didn't dwell on their circumstances. They just prayed. And they trusted God to help them find the best doctor for my surgery. My uncle and cousin were doctors in Texas and helped my parents to find doctors in Houston. They were Dr. Denton Cooley, Dr. Robert DeWitt Leachman, and Dr. Michael DeBakey. Dr. Cooley, who was an American heart and cardiothoracic surgeon famous for performing the first total artificial heart. And he performed over 65,000 heart, open heart surgeries in his lifetime, and I was one of them. Today, my daughter, Courtney, my daughter-in-law, Courtney, she's my daughter too, um, her mother, Pam, um, uses these instruments at Rex that are named, and they're named after Dr. Cooley. I had surgery in 1961, and I'm standing here today because of my parents' faith in God who would work through these doctors and their God-given gifts to save their child. I, of course, don't remember any of this was too young to fear because I then had a childlike faith. I still have telegrams, yes, telegrams, you heard me right, from friends and church family that showed their love and concern and prayers from far away. They had a faith that I would years later understand. Then at age 14, another surgery, I was diagnosed with scoliosis, with cur that's curvature of the spine, my parents, again, even in their older age, when most parents had teenagers that took less time, found themselves back and forth at doctor visits. They found Dr. Alan Sharp Edmondson in Memphis, Tennessee, another doctor using his gifts. Dr. Edmondson contributed to many textbooks and published articles for several medical journals. Most of all, he was a Christian. He loved the Lord, and you could tell it. Every time I was in there, you could tell it. Over the next year and a half, I would go back and forth to the doctor for a doctor appointment. They tried to brace, and then I had to wear it at school. You can imagine what that was like. I made the best of it, though. My friends and I even used having a screw loose to get out of biology class. <laughs> However, when I was 16, it turned out that I would need surgery. June 15, 1975, the day of my surgery in Memphis, friends, family, and even my pastor drove two and a half hours to be there with us. When the pastor came in to pray, it finally hit me how serious his surgery was. And for the first time in my life, I felt uncontrollable fear. And as I waited in the hallway by myself because they were running behind in surgery, I remember whispering this prayer, 
please, Lord, watch over me during this surgery. And if it's your will, let me come out of it. But if it isn't, take me to be with you. I realized at that point that my parents must have had a strong faith. But it wasn't until I became a parent myself that I realized how much faith they did have. I'm pretty sure this was the scripture they they read often. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. The surgery lasted four and a half hours. And when it was complete, I woke up with a cast on, a hard cast. But I knew my God wasn't done with me yet. My faith grew a little stronger after that surgery. It was from my neck to my hips. And I would wear it for nine months. During that time, I saw God work through so many people. My friends who were at my bedside, cracking jokes, making me laugh, making me hurt, laughing. Cards, calls, meals, you name it. Our church family was there for us. But there was one story on 4th of July that I remember. My mom and daddy knew that we'd go to the country club every year, swimming, fireworks, picnic. And they knew I couldn't go. It was only a month after my surgery. And you can imagine being in a hard cast from your neck to your hip. You don't want to be out in 4th of July sun. But they made me a picnic lunch in our den. They spread the coffee table and had fried chicken, pimento cheese, stuffed eggs, memories. During the seventh month before my cast was taken off, January 17, 1976, my daddy had a massive heart attack, duck hunting, and died which was very devastating at 16. All I could think about at the time was he'll never get to see me out of my cast. He'll never walk me down the aisle. He'll never see my children, his grandchildren. Had to dig deep to not focus on my circumstances. My daddy was always there for us and he was gone. My mother was filled with so much grief herself. She was only 56 younger than I am today. It forced me to be, have correct courage and to look to my Heavenly Father for help. Why am I telling you all this? Well, excuse me. Well, like the guidepost editor says, the path I've traveled has helped to mold me in my walk with Christ. The foundation that my parents gave me, I still carry with me, even though they're gone. It's something that my parents could never hear this, parents, never bought me materially. But it's something that would turn out to be the most vital gift they could have ever ever bought me to prepare me for my journey with Christ. You see, when I was a child, my earthly parents found the best doctor. They cared for me. They took me to my appointments. But it was a... This was before I could fully understand about my Heavenly Father's unconditional love. But what a great example that my parents, earthly parents, exemplified. 
I thought that if they would care for me this much, how much more would my heavenly father care for me? They showed me by example and gave me a foundation of the why and the how. But it was up to me to want it. It was up to me to participate in the process with God. As I got older, I didn't have a problem with believing God would be there through an illness or a death. He had done that for me. But financial? I just couldn't understand how God would help me through financial times from something I could have worked harder to get out of or prevented with better choices or praying more. I thought it was up to us and us alone. Mark and I found ourselves in a situation in 2019 that we just couldn't understand. We thought that we did all the right things. We prayed about it. We thought we were going to help others. And when it happened, we felt so alone. Feeling alone is not where you want to be when you're down to one income, and that income is part-time. And the other income, was your house was tied to it. I began to focus on my circumstances. The pressure that it caused in our marriage wasn't fun. I started to look to Mark to fix it instead of God. This problem was mine, all mine. I own it. Mark Bloodworth has more faith than anyone I've ever seen. I just want to slap him sometimes. <laughs> My mind would race thinking, here I am, someone that goes to church every time the doors open, like my parents taught me. I try to do the right thing by serving in his place of worship and in the community. But I can't have faith to look to him over finances. Oh, I pretended in public. And I would smile and keep going, dying inside. I felt hypocritical. Well, you see, I was telling myself lies. God would and will continue to help with my financial matters. It just may not look like what I think it should look like. It isn't until times like these, these out-of-control moments in our lives, that we should look to anyone else but God. And I cried out to him. But I needed faith to believe, to be able to put one foot in front of the other. Charles Stanley said, Joseph's story reminds us that in hard places, we too can experience our Father's presence and thrive. Through difficult times, you can be hopeful because it is God who works in us. God didn't use my illness he didn't cause my illness when I was young, but what he would do is put the right doctors and loving church friends and family to help guide my parents through whatever lay ahead of them. God didn't cause the lost job or home, but what he would do is help Mark find another home and another job. He was there all along with us in times of crisis, weeping with us, and he sent people to help too. God never leaves us and is always walking right beside us, even when we may not feel him. I told someone just recently that if you want a relationship with someone, you have to spend time with them, right? Same way with God. I had to walk with them, I had to talk with them, and I had to trust him. I have a favorite old hymn. Some of you may not know it, but the chorus goes like this. 
And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I get to know my Lord and Savior when I am in his word and worshiping in his house or out in the community serving his people or at a B3 group. This turns my focus on him and away from my circumstances. The people in those groups, their faith helped me get through it. When I was weak, their support and their prayers. Have I done it this way all my life? Huh, no. Will I have more times that I struggle? Yes, of course. Even while working on this um, sermon today, Mark's contract job ended, but thankfully, as of today, he's got more work. David Jeremiah says we're living in a world of deception, and it's difficult to know the truth. Deception often trips up believers in their walk of faith, but it's hard. It's hard to deceive the Christian who studies the Word of God day and night. God's truth is a revealing light that clarifies our outlook and solidifies our faith. Keep your nose in the book of truth and your eyesight will be 2020. Third John 4 says, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. Just recently, our grandson um, was a God sighting for us. He told Mark and me that he wanted to go to children, come out of children's church for communion for some of that Jesus bread. He knew that bread represented Jesus, y'all. Wow. Now all the children come out for communion too. This was a good reminder for me that we are all teaching these children by setting examples with our time, talents, gifts, and presence in this place of worship. Like me, we all have a choice to dwell on our circumstances and let fear paralyze us and keep us from serving the Lord, or we can keep serving and trusting God, setting examples how to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ so that one day when these children are in crisis and need faith to put one foot in front of the other, they will know to run to the well, that well is Jesus Christ, and it will never run dry. I'll leave you with one on the closing today. Let us all remember that no matter where our paths have traveled, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves.